This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt Shirley. coming up on today's episode pmqs unpacked it's the last pmqs before mps head off on their recess, Tim Shipman joins me to pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyse what goes on between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. Before that, though, as ever, it's our columnist panel. On a Wednesday, it should be Alibert, but no Alice Thompson this week, so instead we've got Manveen Rana and Robert Crampton. Um, just talking about um, things in restaurants and that sort of thing, one of the things that I've discovered, partly because I've been, I've been for, for, to do with the, the stand-up show, I've been going around looking at job centre websites, and one of my favourites <laughs> is uh, for a pot wash at Pizza Express, which seems to be a job that comes up a lot, obviously, mm-hmm. washing the plates. Yeah. But the ad says, we love clean plates, whether they're licked clean by our customers or made squeaky clean by our kitchen porters. Where would our restaurants be without sparkling plates? Yeah. Which raises the worrying prospect. If you go into Pizza Express, your plate might have been licked clean yeah. by a previous customer. It's entry-level stuff, isn't it, <laughs> having a clean plate? It's, it's, it shouldn't be something you needed they, to kind of boast, I'd like boast them, about. I'd like them all to be washed by the porters. I yes. don't think being licked clean by a customer is, no. is, is sufficient. And boasting about them being clean is, is not... Yeah. No, that's a, that's a, that's a low entry, bar to clear. It's entry level. Anyway, we're a big fan of it, but not, we're not going to talk down Peach Express. <laughs> right, let's turn our attention to what is actually happening in the news. Uh, the NHS, uh, there's a, um, uh, well, there's, there's sort of two things that have happened today. We've got this this terrible report that's come out the um, uh, into the NHS, what's been described as the NHS's worst ever scandal this morning. Hundreds of children died or left brain damaged over two decades because of repeated failures and obsession over natural birth at Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital NHS Trust. Uh, the senior midwife, Donna Ockenden, has been leading the report and she's been setting out her findings at a press conference this morning. Let's just take a listen. She says the Trust's maternity services failed families and staff over a prolonged period of time. I am here to talk to you about the Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital NHS Trust, a trust whose maternity services failed both families across Shropshire and sometimes their own staff over a prolonged period of time. We now know that this is a trust that failed to investigate, failed to learn and failed to improve. This resulted in tragedies and life-changing incidents for so many of our families. 
This is a this is a terrible, terrible case uh, on its own. More broadly, there's a separate report out today which says satisfaction in the NHS across Britain is at its lowest level in quarter of a century. Mm. It's a poll by the National Centre for Social Research shows the top reasons were waiting time, short uh, staff shortages and funding. Only 36% were happy with the health service last year, uh, with 41% described as very or quite dissatisfied. Uh, Marvin, first of all, what do you make of this? I mean, there's obviously the specifics of this awful story in Shrewsbury, and then the broader issues of sort of problems with the NHS. I mean, it is it is just shocking. You know, some of the um, reporting on what we what the findings would be sort of started coming out on Sunday, and I think everyone was just astonished. You know, t- more than two hundred babies who could have been saved were killed. Nine mothers and. You know, what you heard in the clip there, I think, is is kind of the key part. It's just the fact that they didn't seem to learn and they weren't open to, you know, when people were going and complaining. And I think that's part of the problem. You know, the NHS, as we've all seen through um, the last couple of years in particular, you know, is, is a wonderful institution. But there is sometimes this deference to it where you feel like you can't ask questions or if you do ask questions and you're battered away, you know, there's no other recourse. And that's what seems to have happened here. And and also it, I, what was really surprising about this, I thought, was just the faddishness. You know, this this uh, Shrewsbury, you know, the, the the NHS, the local authority, were basically sort of saying we, we have the lowest number of of um, C-sections. We sort of, we, you know, we have the natural births are sort of given a preference. And that seems to have stopped them saving babies' lives. You know, when... Uh, there, there's some of the cases, you know, they, they could tell that the heartbeat was sort of going, the, the, the babies were being starved of oxygen, and they still wouldn't give them a C-section just because that would have changed their figures. Uh, I think it just seems toxic. And I think there's also sort of, you know, there's an extension of that, which is that a lot of, you know, a lot of mothers, particularly sort of first-time mothers, are sort of told that a C-section is somehow a terrible thing and must be mm. avoided. And I think that is just, it's ter- it's incredibly dangerous. It's this weird thing, isn't it, Robert? I mean, if you, if you break your leg... Mm. There's not a sort of, well, I'm going to just put on some nice music and hope it heals itself. You go to no. the hospital and you, you know, you have whatever the right medical response is. But this yes, culture a, around childbirth well, is no, so an, much pressure on women to do it naturally. Yeah, it's an ideology has, yeah. has, has, has triumphed over common sense. And uh, this is, this is the, uh, the extreme. This is the result. I mean, my, uh, I, we saw a little bit of this when my, when my son was born 25 years ago, uh, tomorrow, actually. And that it was just creeping in then with uh, with lobby groups and in the NHS. There was this backlash against us, the perception that of kind of know it all doctors in the seventies and eighties who basically told uh, mothers w- what to do with very little, uh, with a very poor bedside manner, as it were. And then it, and now it seems to have tipped certainly in this in this trust area completely the other way. But even then, we were hearing about people who were having. Uh, natural childbirths, uh, and the, the the baby died uh, where, because there were complications, and they couldn't, they didn't, they needed to be in an operating theatre, and they weren't. Uh, they were having home births, uh, and you know we've sort of went down this road a little bit, and then in terms of thinking we'll have the birthing pool and we'll have the you know the nice music and the you know all of that. I mean, then when it came to it, my wife said, "Give me the drugs," uh, and. She didn't feel like a failure, but she could easily have yeah. done so, and she almost had a C-section. And I think if she'd had one of those, then she then then, then the the, the flavour of the of the time the, and and it's got worse since might have led her to believe that she'd done something wrong. Wrong, and, I know, and, so, which is which is mad. It's absolutely mad. And this is the, 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 the whole process is you want your baby to be born 
healthy. You've got yes. the rest of your life to worry yes. about putting CDs on. Quite. And uh, and this is just that's that attitude taken to a lethal extreme. You know, I, I interviewed somebody recently who was telling me about having a C-section and sort of said, it wasn't that I was too posh to push. And I think the fact that we even have phrases like that just makes it so hard for women to make a sensible, logical decision based on the medical facts and not sort of the cultural, um, you know, the, the fads of the moment. And then on this, this sort of broader question, you're right, Marvin, you touched on it a little bit, this sort of idea of the, NH, the, the sort of the religion that is the NHS, that if you, if you dare to suggest it's anything other than perfect, mm. then you're committing some terrible sort of blaspheme against this fine institution. Mm. Whereas actually, it's just a load of people working in some government mm. buildings and too often they get stuff wrong. And actually, maybe the, the sort of cult around the NHS means that, the, we're, we're too reluctant to point out failures and, and criticise. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. Um, you know, I mean, I, I haven't had to spend much time in hospital myself, but I remember when my father was ill, um, I was even told, because, you know, you do have this sort of sense of deference, you know, when you're presented with consultants and, and surgeons and people who clearly know what they're doing, and, you know, it, it's right to, to respect their opinion on things. But I remember being told at the time, that if you want the NHS to work, your attitude towards it has to be that these are people who are, are doing a job and you've got to be able to call them up on it. You've got to be able to sort of, um, you know, get a second opinion, get a third opinion. And I think too often we don't really do that. We're, we're sort of, we're attuned to sort of take whatever we're told as, as being absolutely gospel. And then you sort of see cases like this where, you know, 200 babies and each one of them at the end of them, they seem to have been told that this was a, an isolated case. This was a one off. And yet it happens again and again and again. Um, and, you know, if some of the mothers hadn't started to, to kick up a fuss, hadn't mm. started to look for answers, we probably still wouldn't know. You know, there, there would still be babies dying. So there is just that sense that we've, mm. as, as wonderful an institution as it is, we've got to be able to call it out. I, yeah, I was very surprised by this survey. I mean, 2020 you had 53% satisfaction, and that's, and that's gone down to 36% last year, in the, and part of it covered by the pandemic. So it's really surprising. I think, I think part of this is to do with GPs, to be honest, rather than, uh, rather than A&E or with hospitals. I mean, the NHS is such a massive institution. I mean, I think it one in, employ one in 20 of the British workforce works for the NHS, something like that. Uh, that obviously bits of it are going to not work brilliantly all the time. And I think yeah. that there is a real problem with GPs at the moment. It seems to me that GPs did not distinguish themselves particularly well during the pandemic, other, other, unlike A&Es. And they seem to be using the post-pandemic uh, period to try and sort of become telephone consultation services rather than... It's hard to get a face-to-face appointment yeah, with, your, really with your GP. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you get a call back or you get a pharmacist calls you or, you know, they, 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 it's not that the model seems to be changing. And I, and I sense I've got frustrations with that. And I think a lot of people have done and that might be part of what is reflected in this survey. Uh, whereas so I think it's perfectly fine. I mean, it's, mat- it's a mature appreciation of, yeah, a, yeah. Of, a, of a massive institution. That, you know, also, some bits of it work and some bits of it don't. And the problem in a way is putting it on the pedestal. You know, the NHS was well, 10 years, isn't it? Mm. Isn't it? The, you know, the, the heart of the... London Olympics opening yes. ceremony. And we, we don't you know, do the same for the DWP, but lots of people rely no, on the benefits and pensions no, that they pay out. No, or... it, it's become this shibboleth. It's, yeah. a, a, it's a bit like the European Union. At the end of the day, it's only a trading organisation. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's not... It's not <laughs> uh, don't know uh, the people with the EU berets on here. Yes, yeah. yeah. You say that. Uh, and whatever your opinion is, that's what it... You know, it's just... Life goes on. Yeah. Uh, 
So, but yes. also, there's been so like this is this is a terrible thing that's happening in Shrewsbury. But there've been so many like over my entire adult life. Every year or so, you get another mm. case of a terrible trust. Yeah, there was there was Alder Hay in Liverpool, Alder and, Hay and and, and, uh, and there's Shipman, of yeah. course, uh, and various other ones. That I, uh, there was one in Somerset, I think. Failures I can't of care, yeah. uh, whether it's failures of care, yeah. fa- you know, where lives could have been saved or lives weren't, sa- you know, yeah. and, and it just seems to sort of happen again and again and that again. That is what ha- I mean. That and, and you know, when doctors and nurses make mistakes, people die. Uh, the problem is, I mean, and but people will forgive mistakes. What they won't forgive is, as Manveen said, is not learning the lessons of twenty years. And uh, being resistant, sort of bureaucratically resistant, organisationally resistant to being to being questioned, and part of the problem with that is that with, is this reverence. I think um, uh, Mary's been in touch. Not happy with mm-hmm. you, uh, Robert. Lastly, oh, working the NHS, I've never had so many unfounded complaints. Definitely not revered. And now your guest criticising GPs. What does he know? Makes me absolutely furious. Well, I know what I, I'm. I'm sorry to make you furious, Mary, but I mean, I, my my, I know what I know. In that, in that, I have dealings with the GPs. My wife was in hospital recently. I'm. Uh, I might. It's it's hard to generalise. I mean, obviously, GPs at an individual level are all wonderful human beings. But now my local GP surgery has converted post-pandemic to a largely telephone service, and I just think that's that's frustrating and wrong. And I suspect most people would agree. And I'm kind of allowed to make that criticism. Uh, we've had God, we've had loads of messages this morning. Um, some were. <laughs> Uh, try being a GP before you criticise. Absolutely fizzing. Oh, that's still Mary. Uh, <laughs> just right. more messages. Absolutely agree with Robert. The NCT right. must also hold some responsibility for the mismanagement of birth. Mm-hmm. My aunt almost died having a second child. My dad suffered a brain injury that birth that's resulted in lifelong epilepsy. Giving birth is not a lifestyle choice. And then someone else uh, got in touch and said, well, said two good childbirth sayings, although actually only one came through. You want a baby, not a medal. I suppose that's mm. quite a key uh, mm. one. And then someone else it's a said, great phrase. Uh, "What's mm. the difference between uh, what's the difference between God and a consultant?" Answer: God doesn't think he's a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nick says, "If the EU had just been a trading organisation, we'd probably still be in it." Mm. So there we are. Okay. I feel like we've uh, we've upset everyone. Oh, uh, there. Let's let's move on to the far less contentious issue, Robert. Of um, yeah. Uh, you've written a column criticising the royal oh, family. I thought we were going to talk. I we, I thought, well, I thought we were going to talk about Jackie Weaver, no, but okay, we, royal let's, family. Let's do your republicanism first. Okay, well, fa- funnily enough, that is that is less. Con- my point is that it is kind of less contentious. All my adult life, uh, I've been uh, convinced Republican, and I've occasionally written about it, and, uh, and 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 frequently talked about it. I always felt I was in a minority, and and recognised that I was in a minority. All the polls suggested that I was. Uh, and I felt this last few weeks, I mean, uh, that things might be changing. Uh, there was that period in the, around Diana's death and the funeral where people thought that things might shift. I, I didn't really feel that at the time. It was a sort of emotional reaction. But now it seems to me 25 years on from that, with this royal tour that went so badly wrong, that perceptions might be changing. I was hearing from people who I would not expect to have heard it from, uh, that this was all a bit, this is all a bit silly, and maybe the game was up. And uh, touring nations and, and, and with a kind of innate sense, much as William and Kate, I think, do try to avoid this. There was a, there's that sense of the, the kind of the mother nation, the imperial power, uh, the metropolitan power coming to see the nice was, local people. It was just a terrible photo that one at the back of the Land Rover, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, and. Uh, there was, yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, that, that picture, to be honest with you, if you sort of 
coloured mm. it in black and white or sepia. It could have been taken any time in the last century. Yes. It just sort of looked so completely inappropriate. It did. And thinking back, it's one of those things where you think back and think, well, actually, it's, it's always been like that, but the pennies just kind of dropped. Yeah. Uh, but it was such a weird because it looked, looked like a scene out of the crown. It was such a weird thing. It did normally, partly because Kate of the way she was so sort of bang on. With she, this yes, stuff. and she looked like a forties housewife. It looked like sort of brief encounter, didn't it? Uh, and yeah. he was and he's wearing this kind of weird uniform that I'd never seen. Maybe that was like a, a Jamaican army uniform or something. I don't know, but it was it was weird sort <laughs> of gold braid. And, yes, uh, I mean it bit, looks it looks bit, Edwardian. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's a bit naval and it's a bit naval and a bit a bit I don't know. Uh, so. That's what I was writing, and uh, it's had a you know, predictable uh, response. Uh, Join the conversation, I think, as they say. Go on, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've run out of time. We can't talk about Jackie Weaver. The messages are still coming in. Uh, thank you for this NHS discussion. It's beyond time we had a frank discussion of failing, says one. Someone else says, only highlighting the rare negatives and not acknowledging all of the policies that happen on a daily basis. Mm, are the Tories paying you to break ground for privatisation no. in the NHS? No, that's no, what you call not. absolute no, no. cobblers. Yeah. Uh, the idea that we can't... What, it is not the job to go out. Well, you know, it's like that the Steve Coogan sketch. You know, on in 1992, no one died. In yeah. that means he's the swimming pool attendant. It's like, you know, oh, 1993, yeah. someone died. Yeah. That, that's yeah. the stuff that matters. Robert Crampton and Manveen Rana. There, you can read Robert in the Times every week, and you can listen to Manveen Rana on the Stories of Our Times podcast. Just search for that wherever you are listening to this podcast. Right, coming up next, it's PMQs Unpacked. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQs, unpacked on Times Radio. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time of the week. We'll go live to the House of Commons in just a moment. Tim Shipman, Chief Political Commentator for the Sunday Times, is here. How are you, Tim? Hello, Matt. I'm very well. What? Don't forget, you can watch along. Go online right now to YouTube, uh, search Times Radio. Uh, you can watch us uh, watch live uh, as we uh, unpack PMQs. Let us know where you are. People watching from New York, Bangkok, uh, and uh, Taunton. Lovely stuff. Uh, what do you expect? All the wild places. All the, all the wild places. <laughs> uh, what do you expect uh, Keir Starmer to go on at PMQs this week? Well, it would be odd if he didn't have some sort of go at the fact that there are 20 members of the government have now been um, fined and sanctioned. Um, we don't really know who they all are, um, which gives him an opportunity to reopen um, uh, that issue should he wish to, and it would be curious if he didn't. Um, 
he might want to quote um, the Deputy Prime Minister, um, Dominic Raab, who came up with a rather wonderful line this morning that Boris Johnson told the truth to the best of his ability when he was uh, addressing uh, the House of Commons uh, on these matters. Which wasn't very helpful. When he stood in at PMQs a couple of weeks ago, he described the Prime Minister as a very social individual, which wasn't also uh, totally helpful. In a moment, we'll, uh, we'll bring you Keir Starmer uh, uh, asking questions at PMQs, but Boris Johnson kicking off with a statement. Let's take a listen. ...today for my honourable friend, the member for Bridge End. And I know uh, that the House stands uh, with you and will give you the support that you need to, leave, to live freely as yourself. Mr Speaker, I'd like to thank Donna Ockenden and her whole team for the compassionate approach she's taken throughout this distressing review of maternity care at Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital's NHS Trust. Every woman giving birth has the right to a safe birth, and my heart, therefore, goes out to the families for the distress and uh, suffering that they've endured. My right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Health, will be making an oral statement this afternoon, setting out the government's response. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Uh, Let's just uh, jump in there. That's Boris Johnson paying tribute to Jamie Wallace, the Conservative MP for Bridgend, who uh, overnight posted on Twitter, I'm trans or more accurate, or to be more accurate, I want to be. It's interesting the Prime Minister using that. The, the opportunity, the dispatch box to pay tribute to him, James. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's this is a tricky issue for both sides. Um, uh, the Conservatives want to appear individually compassionate without necessarily buying into uh, the whole sort of pro-trans agenda. And indeed, at a party um, uh, last night with Tory MPs, before this news came out, Boris Johnson was making jokes about trans rights and saying, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or as Keir Starmer would have it, you know, people who are born female or born male. Um, Starmer himself had an awkward time in an interview um, last week in which he was repeatedly asked whether a woman can have a penis and was unable to provide an answer. So this is a tricky, tricky area for both parties. Um, But Boris Johnson wanting to be seen as personally compassionate. um, And that's the approach that a lot of uh, Conservatives have tried to take to this. Uh, Boris Johnson also referring to the uh, that Ockenden review, the terrible view into the, the failings of maternity care. Sajid Jarrod, the health secretary, making a statement uh, after PMQ. So I'll keep across that for you uh, this afternoon. Interestingly, Dominic Raab, the justice secretary, also expects to make a statement on public protection. Then Grant Shapps, the transport secretary, setting out measures responding to PNO. Because obviously that's been a huge story as well. So it's a busy old afternoon in the House of Commons. We can go live to the House of Commons now, though. Watch along on YouTube. This is the last PMQs before the Easter recess. This is question number one from Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I start by joining the Prime Minister in his remarks in relation to the Honourable Member for Bridgend? Does the Prime Minister still think that he and the Chancellor are tax-cutting Conservatives? Uh, Yes, Mr Speaker, I certainly certainly do, because... I I certainly do, because uh, this is is the Government uh, that has just introduced not only... Uh, the biggest cut in, in fuel duty uh, ever, uh, but the, 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 biggest, uh, the biggest cut for, in tax for working people in the last 10 years, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, 70% of the, uh, of the, of the, of the per- population paying uh, national insurance contribution will have a substantial tax cut as a result of what uh, the Chancellor did. And if you take together... Yeah, well, well, they don't like it, Mr Speaker, it's true. They always put up taxes, that's why. Right. We cut taxes. If you, 
they, they, that's, they love it. They love putting up taxes. Uh, but if you take together they what we're it. doing with income tax and national insurance, it's the biggest tax cut proposed by my uh, right honourable friend, the Chancellor, for 25 years. Yeah. I want to jump in there then. Um, well, here we go. <laughs> Uh, so uh, back to last week. Keir Starmer going on um, the economy. Well, it's the safest probably area. Cost of I living. Have said that at the start. Yeah. I? I mean, you know, cost of living is their best subject. Um, we've just had these big announcements, and and frankly, Rishi Sunak's uh, spring statement um, had the what's it torn out of it by um, the think tankers and and the economists. Um, yes, there were multiple tax cuts offered in it, but over, obviously overall the burden is rising and. Um, this stuff's about to hit people in uh, their pockets next month. I do think, and actually, well, Rachel Reeves kept talking about Alice in Wonderland in the Commons last week, but there is something a bit Alice in Wonderland the world's been turned upside down, that the Labour Party is attacking the Conservatives for putting up taxes. Uh, well, quite. I mean... Um, while, while the Tory party are putting up taxes and pretending they aren't. Uh, yes, um, but, you know, that's the last five or six years of British politics, <laughs> isn't it? What's up is down and... Um, yeah. Uh, um, uh, so uh, Richard's just posted a question on, on uh, YouTube saying, quick question, you may have answered before. Does the Prime Minister know the questions in advance? No, but he can have a decent guess at the likely subject areas and, and frankly sometimes he'll just have a bunch of lines prepared that um, <laughs> bear little resemblance to the questions and you know he pivots to them um, in good time. Uh, the only time you might know uh, is if a uh, Conservative MP wants some, him to say something helpful. So they might send some details of their Well, yes, there's club. two ways that works, aren't there? One in which um, the local MP says, if I ask this, can you say something helpful about this? And I'll be on the front page of my local paper. And the other way it works is that the whips um, dragoon whoever is on the list and say it'd be very helpful if you ask this so the Prime Minister could uh, provide an answer that he wants to provide. Uh, there's probably rather more of that. Yes, there's a bit more of that going on. Right, let's go back then. He, he def- put it this way, he definitely doesn't know what Keir Starmer's going to ask. We don't either. This is question number two. Uh- Cut the nonsense and, 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 and treat the British people with a bit of respect. And let me take him through this slowly. Fifteen tax rises, the highest tax burden for 70 years. For every £6 they're taking in tax rises, they're only handing £1 back. Prime Minister, is that cutting taxes? Or is that raising taxes? Uh, Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I don't know where he's been for the last two years. Uh, but even, even, by the, even by the standards, even by the standards of, even by the, yes he has, uh, even, even by the standards of Captain Hindsight, Mr Speaker, uh, to, to obliterate to obliterate the biggest pandemic uh, for the last century from his memory, to obliterate the $408 billion, uh, that we've had to spend to look after people up and down the country is quite extraordinary. And this is a government that is getting on uh, with reducing the tax burden wherever we can. Uh, what we are doing, Mr Speaker, there's, there's, one, there's, one, uh, there's one measure I, I think he should be supporting, and that's the health and care levy, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, to fund our NHS. That's the one uh, they oppose, Mr Speaker. Every other, every other tax rise, they're all in favour of. <laughs> this, uh, well, apart from the use of Captain Hindsight, we've not heard for some time, Tim, this is, Boris Johnson's mounted an argument there, which I, uh, it feels to me like the government hasn't done enough. No, but the, actually it's sort of, uh, it, it lingers in the thoughts of the public when you listen to focus groups, as yeah. I did last week. Um, you know, there is an understanding from most of the public that 
COVID has cost a lot of money um, and the war in Ukraine is now costing a lot of money um, in terms of how it affects our uh, prices and uh, uh, the price of food, the price of energy. Um, and there is a sort of, you know, a lot of people will give the government a little bit of um, uh, respite um, from these arguments as a result of that. And it's certainly one that the Tories need to make. I think what's also there in the polling and a little bit in the focus groups is that there is a... People are beginning to split um, in terms of their vote, in terms of whether they buy that argument. I think, you know, I think even Labour supporters would have given the government a lot of credit during COVID, that it was a big problem and they were struggling to deal with it and anyone would have. I think increasingly what I see is people who are vaguely sympathetic to Boris Johnson will buy this argument and people who are not will begin to violently not buy this argument. Um, so in that sense, it's a little bit of normal politics returning. But um, I mean, the other thing you know, that is a case really heard you can make. Rishi Sunak doing this is that the part of the reason they spent so much money was the furlough scheme, which actually has kept unemployment. You know, people have gone back into work. because The big concern was that loads of people get thrown out of work, businesses go bust, and they end up stuck on jobless yeah, benefits and I for think, a long time. I think the biggest question for the next couple of years is whether this high inflation uh, becomes what it also became in you know the late 70s and early 80s, um, where it became an unemployment crisis um, as well. Um, and a lot of people went out of work. And the Tories at the time were accused of effectively driving down inflation at the cost of jobs. Now, so far, inflation's still rising, um, and we're not yet in that situation. Um, but I think, you know, as long as people are in work, the pain of it will always be a lot less than, than it was in 1981. And if this government can get away with that, they've got a fighting chance of winning the next election. I yeah. think if you suddenly find 10% of the population out of work, I think it's quite hard to see how they do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. And this is question number three from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I can only hope that his police questionnaire was a bit more convincing than that. <laughs> Yeah. Presumably he doesn't hope that. He'd uh, probably quite like it if Boris Johnson's response was as people convincing. face the worst fall in living standards on record. While they're counting every penny, the Prime Minister is hitting them with higher taxes. But in 2024, when there just so happens to be a general election, they will introduce a small tax cut. That's not taking difficult decisions. It's putting the Tory re-election campaign over and above helping people pay their bills. How did, how did he find a Chancellor as utterly cynical as he is? Prime Minister, what we have, Mr Speaker, is Old a Chancellor who took the tough decisions to look after uh, the UK economy uh, throughout the pandemic, who protected, who protected people up and down the land uh, with £408 billion worth of support, Mr. Speaker. And, and by the way, if we listen to them, if we listen to Captain... Yeah, this is the truth. If we listen to Captain Hindsight, we would, not have come out of, we would not have come out of lockdown in July last year, Mr. Speaker. We would have stayed in lockdown over Christmas and New Year, Mr. Speaker with the result that the UK economy would not be growing in the way that it is, and so we would not be able to make the investments that we now are. And under Labour, we would have to tax more and borrow more. And they cannot be trusted, Mr Speaker, with the economy. Well, let's uh, just jump in. Another, another outing for Captain Hindsight. It's obviously back uh, as a thing. I mean, we should point out, the Labour Party didn't actually call for a lockdown at Christmas, did they? 
No, they seemed... Um, they were a little concerned that the Prime Minister was uh, being too lax, if I remember rightly. Certainly they were asking questions that implied that that was their view. Um, as ever, Boris Johnson stretching things uh, to their limits, but, you know, in, in a broad case, it's an argument he's been making. Um, and similarly broad case, um, you know, uh, Keir Starmer, they're going after Rishi Sunak. And, you know, we've talked about this before. The polling has suggested that the tarnish has come off, uh, the, 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 the luster has come off the, the off the Chancellor, and they've been targeting him for quite some time. Um initially because he was popular and they wanted to try and undermine his popularity and now they see perhaps a weakened minister that they can uh, properly go after. Interesting, though, that Boris Johnson defended him quite so vociferously. Yeah. But, you know, last week, Johnson came out and said, we need to do more, and that was seen as undermining the Chancellor. Actually, privately, he was rather more supportive, and certainly in Cabinet, he was praising him um, to the high heavens in a little uh, a little bit like he did there, saying if he hadn't sort of got furlough and done all this stuff. And, that you know, it's now taken as a given, but that was a very complicated thing to do very quickly, and, and, and Sunak did it um, uh, pretty well. Um, and Johnson seems still to be sort of at least standing in the same trench as him at the moment. And I suppose uh, it's interesting as well that, that Keir Starmer is going for very, very broad brush. I mean, we've got a hint there of the police police questionnaire as a sort of throwaway remark. Well, it's good that in a sense he's, you know, using humour to have a pop at it is probably when the, the way information is, is limited. But then, is your question, if your question is, how did you find a chancellor as utterly cynical as he is? I mean, that's just not. I'm not sure what what he thinks that that's going to elicit. I suppose it's just a bit well, of knockabout. It's a bit of knockabout. It's a line that you know that may or may not get clipped. Um, let's see whether his peroration is uh, punchier <laughs> than that. Um, well, we're a little way off that uh, just yet. Uh, we've got another mm. three questions to go. You can, like I said, you can Don't watch. Sounds so excited, Matt. Go there. Are... <laughs> Mike's texted in saying, "My heart sinks when Keir suggests he's going to go through something slowly." <laughs> uh, um, let us know what you think. You can go online to the uh, the YouTube channel. Uh, search on uh, YouTube for Times Radio. You can see Tim and I in all our glory, as well as Boris Johnson. And this question four from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer, the tough decisions. Give me a break. Yeah. We know, we know, we know, Mr Speaker, we know who those two always ask to pay. Income stealth tax, a tax on working people. Tuition fee raid, a tax on working people. National insurance hike, a tax on working people. All while oil and gas companies see unexpected bumper profits. A windfall tax would raise billions and ease the burden on working people. Mr Speaker, the former CEO of BP, Lord John Brown, says a windfall tax is justifiable. The current CEO says they have, in his words, more cash than they know what to do with. Why is the Prime Minister more interested in shielding oil and gas profits than supporting working people? Mr Speaker, it's a classic example of what Labour has got wrong uh, in the, their, their period in office. Uh, the, the, the oil and gas companies are now investing £20 billion, uh, Mr Speaker, in ensuring that we have long-term energy supplies. And uh, I remember the 1997 Labour manifesto actually said that there was no economic case for more nuclear power. We, we, are, now, we, are, now having to, we are now having to make good the historic mistakes of the Labour Party by investing in our long-term energy supply. That is what we are doing. Everything that they are proposing would mean deterring investment, meaning higher prices for consumers and households up and down the land being worse off. 
But so was it last week or the week before when we were refighting? Uh, apparently, the reason we haven't got enough power now is because of the uh, new Labour manifesto in 1997, a mere 25 years ago. Yeah, though, interesting that answer. I, I mean, it's almost, bear with me here, Starmer is making sort of broad brush um, political debating points. And Boris Johnson, whisper it quietly, is actually providing slightly nuanced answers today. He's sort of saying, actually, this energy stuff's a bit more complicated than that. You whack them with some money, but they're busy investing because we need to protect ourselves against dependence on, on the Russians. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, he's making a political point himself, of course, uh, with the nuclear power point and the, and the ancient manifesto. But um, this has been a problem that's got several decades of uh, fathers and mothers. Um, but... Um, you don't often hear the Tories actually bother to make the argument against windfall taxes. There is one that, you know, um, you're clobbering people at a time when you need them and that it deters businesses from sticking money in here because it creates uncertainty if, if industries think they can just be clobbered at the drop of a hat. Um, that's often an unpalatable political argument because a lot of people don't like these industries, and, and rightly so sometimes. Um, but, you know, he actually bothering to string string an argument together there. Um, and it's obviously... It's interesting when Boris Johnson gets on terrain that he sort of actually believes in um, and understands he can actually muster something proper that isn't just yarboo politics. It, it does seem... You're right. It's like PMQ has been turned on its head. It's very broad-brushed to the point of... I mean, being almost irrelevant, what Keir Starmer's uh, driving at. We'll wait for his peroration. We'll, we'll wait man. for his peroration. Yeah, we will. We will. Be amazing, but Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson, you know, really getting to the, the, the nitty-gritty on fuel duty, on uh, what was spent during the pandemic and why that needs to be paid back. Um, and then, like you said, going into the, the history of energy policy. Last week, he seemed to have been reading up on all of the various employment legislation of the past 40 years. Is this a sign of a change? Is this part of the change in number 10 behind the scenes that he's... He's better briefed on the detail rather than just just doing the Captain Hindsight routine. It might routine. be. It might also be that he's got young kids and he's up in the middle of the night and he needs to find something <laughs> to put him back to sleep. So reading the 1994 Employment Relations but Act. But yes, is, it would imply yeah. that, you know, I mean, he presumably didn't read Labour's 1997 election manifesto himself. Somebody's gone and done that for him. And it suggests that um, Conservative campaign HQ is beginning to get its act together. They've put some new people in there. Uh, Oliver Dowden, the new chairman, is, is, is you know is building up that team, and it suggests that um, uh, their sort of attack machine is getting a bit of, a little bit more adept. Um, yeah, it seems a bit smart. And actually, I was just looking on the, the Labour manifesto; he's not even taken it out of context. It literally says, "We see no economic case for the building of any new nuclear power stations." Uh, but there we are. Right, uh, what we got number five? Yeah, we're not at the peroration just yet. It's question number five from Keir Starmer. Speaker, there we have it. They're the party of excess oil and gas profits. We're the party of working people. Mr Speaker, talking, talking of parties, talking of parties, Prime Minister. Oh, very good. He told the House no rules were broken in Downing Street during lockdown. The police have now concluded there was widespread criminality. The ministerial code says that ministers who knowingly mislead the House should resign. Why is he still here? Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. He's just changed his position. I mean, 
Uh, we, do, we do at least expect some consistency from uh, this, this human weather vane. It, it, was, it was only a week or so ago where he was saying that I, I shouldn't resign. He's, He's got to make. What is it? What is his position, Mr. Speaker? Uh, we, of course, the, of course, the the the, the, Met must, uh, the investigators must must get on with their job. But in the meantime, uh, 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 let the, let, and we and they should. Let, in the meantime, in the meantime, Mr. Speaker, we are going to get on uh, with our job. And uh, what we are what we are focusing on is tackling the cost of living, uh, helping people, helping people uh, through the spike in fuel prices, the 9.1 billion uh, that the Chancellor has set out, but also, Mr. Speaker, doing the long... I've mentioned nuclear power, I've mentioned tackling our, our energy supplies, which Labour totally failed to do with. What we're also doing, far more important perhaps even than that, Mr. Speaker, we're tackling illiteracy and innumeracy in our schools. Uh, and I think uh, we're investing billions in tutoring, uh, Mr. Speaker. That's what we're focusing on, and I think that's what the people of this country want us to focus on. When I said Boris Johnson was newly focused on the detail, <laughs> what I mean was he was about to just do a massive brain fart all over the dispatch box. And you can tell because he referred to the Met in a very sort of casual, you know, as one stop short of oh, the, the, the But the what cops. about all this other stuff? Nuclear power, illiteracy, numeracy, tutoring, whoa! So the thing that he was talking about, about uh, Keir Starmer being unclear if he was calling for a design of... Co- of course, uh, Keir Starmer called for him to resign over party guy earlier in the year. Then in the beginning of this month... Uh, Keir Starmer went on the, the the Sunday. What's it called with Sophie Rayworth? The thing that used to be Sunday morning. It's called. Used to be um, uh, used to be Andrew Marr, uh, and he said um, that he, that there need to be unity. He said, uh, whatever challenges and frustrations of criticism I have, the Prime Minister, I've got many on this issue. There is unity. Obviously, he talked about Ukraine, and it's very important we demonstrate unity. Um, Up until the point that the Met stopped. Finding people. Yes, impressed on whether or not uh, he was calling for the Prime Minister to resign. He said, well, look, at the moment, the Prime Minister is obviously concentrating on the job in hand and we stand united as the UK on that issue. Although later, a number 10 spokesman said they did still think that Boris Johnson should resign. So in a whole day, they couldn't make... But I'm intrigued by Boris Johnson's outrage that it's not clear whether or not Keir Starmer wants him to resign, as if that would make any difference to his decision. It's a slightly dubious point, isn't it? But... um, (laughs) In, buried in that sort of splurge of words <laughs> was a phrase which I think we'll hear more of, which was, is, I think, rather better than Captain Hindsight, the human weather vane. And that does come up in the focus groups. You do hear people, you know, traditionally leaders of the opposition are criticised for being opportunists. Classic of Boris Johnson to find a slightly more interesting way of saying that. Um, and I think we'll be hearing that phrase. You'll need to start pinging your bell when we hear human weather human vane. Human weather vane. I, you could also just see his face being uh, photoshopped on a weather vane, blowing in the wind. It's on all... the front page of the sun, in all likelihood. Oh, there we are. Uh, right, uh, here we go. It's the thing we've been waiting for, Tim. It's Keir Starmer's Stand peroration. By. Stand by, everyone. Hold on to your spines, everybody. They're going to tingle. Uh, here we go. This is question number six. The last question of PMQs in this parliamentary term before the Easter holidays. Let's go live to the House of Commons. Keir Starmer... Look, there are only two possible explanations. Either he's trashing the ministerial code or he's claiming he was repeatedly lied to by his own advisers and that he didn't know what was going on in his own house and his own office. Come off it. He really does think that it's one rule for him and another rule for everyone else. That he can pass off criminality in his office and ask others to follow the law that he can keep raising taxes and call himself a tax cutter, that he can hike tax during a cost-of-living crisis and get credit for giving a bit back 
just before an election. Yeah. When is he going to stop taking the British public for fools? Mr Speaker, this is, the, this is the leader of the opposition who would have kept this country in lockdown uh, and made it absolutely impossible. That, you know, he has zero consistency on, on any issue, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, but one thing we know about is he would like to take us back into the EU and take us back into lockdown, uh, if he possibly could. Uh, th thanks, thanks to what this government has done, uh, we have unemployment back down to the levels it was before the pandemic, the economy bigger than it was, uh, we have record vacancies, Mr Speaker. The difference between them and us is, is they want to keep people, Mr Speaker, they want to keep people on benefits, we want to help people into work. And that's what we're doing uh, in record numbers. Uh, they want to raise taxes, we want to cut taxes. And that's what we're doing, uh, Mr Speaker. We're tackling illiteracy. They didn't give a damn, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, we're getting on with making this country, making this country the best place to invest. Last time I updated the House, Mr. Speaker, on the number of unicorns that we had in, of unicorns in this country. That's tech countries worth more than a billion dollars, Mr. Speaker. I said we had a hundred. I can inform you now, Mr. Speaker, that we now have 120. They don't want to hear it. But let me tell you. Germany, that's more than Israel, it's more than France, Germany, Israel combined, Mr Speaker. That's what's happening under this government, that's what's happening because of the tough decisions we've taken. We take the tough decisions, we deliver, they play politics, Mr Speaker. Uh, reminder, the, the question was actually about uh, parties in number 10 and uh, tax bills. But the, the, the thump of the seal pour on the dispatch box, he does not mind. <laughs> Uh, Boris Johnson accusing Keir Starmer of zero consistency on any issue. Yeah, and then using a line which, again, I mean, it's it's stretching things to the limit, but within the sort of ballpark of what we're likely to hear in the run-up to the next election, they want to take us back into the EU and back into lockdown, which is, I think, obviously nonsense on both counts, but kind of, <laughs> but kind of within the sort of wheelhouse of what Keir Starmer thinks about the world. Um you know, they want to raise taxes. We want to cut them. We haven't got round to it yet, but well, we we'd will. really like to. We will, to. just before the exit And then unicorns, which anyone who remembers the Brexit debate was beginning to come out in a cold sweat at that point, but he was, in fact, talking about uh, companies worth a billion pounds. I mean, Not, that not, what... not countries, as he said there. The, the stream of consciousness that we got. I must mention the unicorns. Yes. I mean, and but, you know, that was a... I mean, I think it's pretty clear he won the peroration battle, um, and that's quite important for Boris Johnson. I mean, he had... Every Tory MP to dinner, and um, one can only imagine uh, what sort of social occasion that must have been like. Um, but, you know, the next few weeks are going to decide whether those MPs put in letters calling for votes of confidence in him and all the rest of it. Very important to send them away to their constituencies at Easter uh, with a song in their hearts. And there was a lot of noise behind him there. I think uh, he'll be pretty happy with how that went. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.